Happy Schmurf Day to you. Happy Schmurf Day to you. Happy Schmurf Day, Schmear Schmanners. <laughs> Happy Schmurf Day to you. It's Schmanners. <laughs> Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. It's, see, it's funny <laughs> when you put the schma sound in front of it. Yeah, but schmear? Schmear. Happy birthday, schmear, schmear. Because it's schmear. It's like dear. Right, But yes. not like schmear. Like, oh, <laughs> like I guess it does cheese. sound like cream cheese, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it's our sixth birthday. It's it our is. sixth anniversary. Our oldest child. It goes Schmanners and then BB and then Dot. That's right. Um, it, well, technically, it goes Willow, then Willow is our roommate. Willow is not oh, our child. Okay, the cats, cats. Cats are. Oh, I'm about to anger some people. <laughs> I see cats as roommates. What do you see dogs as? Children. Chil- well, children that don't ever learn to drive a car, <laughs> unless you train them really well. I guess. Children that you never expect to like pay their own bills. But it's true. We did. We started Schmanners uh, shortly before I became pregnant with BB. January 2016. She was about to twinkle in our eyes. Mm-hmm. And then we birthed Schmanners through our mouths. <laughs> oh, boy. Wow, boy. <laughs> that took a really gross turn. It quick. did. And you know what? I saw the turn coming <laughs> and I tried to slow down. But the road was icy, and I just turned into the skid. <laughs> hey, we have we have our regular show scheduled this is in a moment. But, Travis, I'd like you to reminisce a little bit about your favorite Schmanners Oh, wait, we're going to reminisce first? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, you know, I was looking back over. First of all, we've done a lot of episodes. We have. I didn't realize it's quite a few. Good for us. Um, so I, I wanted to go back through and look at some of my favorites to remind myself. So I would say one— Early days. One of our first, if not our first, like biography episode we did was a Vanderberry Wall, the King of Dudes. Oh yeah. Um, that was a good one. Which is still fun to me. A dude who basically seemed to make a living out of being notably overdressed at every occasion mm-hmm. and like won the title King of Dudes by changing his clothes the most times in one night until he like collapsed in victorious exhaustion, <laughs> which is great. That's a good one. Uh, but I would say my two favorite and like to the point where I'm not going to lie, I was reading the transcripts of them. They're two live shows. I was reading the transcript and like laughing <laughs> to myself and it was Pirates uh, oh, live. I forgot about Pirates. Yeah, that we did in Orlando and Mr. Rogers Live that we did in San Aww. Jose. Um, Pirates Live is just a fun one throughout yeah. just because like, I, I love Pirates and just the very discussion of it was great. But my favorite part, there's a part in the Mr. Rogers one where I ask you what year he was born and you looked at your notes and you just said, oh no. <laughs> and I said, what? And you said, my notes say 1998 and there's no way that's right. Yeah. And like we had to like yell off stage to have Paul tell us what the year was. And you got so embarrassed that you had well, the year wrong. Because I had the typo. It was, what was it? It was 1928. 28. 28. 
But it was just so funny. We're like, I know it's not 1998, but like that idea of like Mr. Rogers being born in 1998 is so, tickles me so much. I also at one point in that episode posited that he was married to a puppet. And then I felt bad because he's a hero. And I was saying he was married to a puppet, but it's still really funny to me now. There's also a moment in there where you talk about this new invention that showed up in his house. And I go, a puppet. <laughs> and I was talking about a puppet peer, appearing before him saying, I'm your future friend. And it's it's just a weird one. There was a lot of energy in that episode, and I really, really enjoyed Another it. Another weird one was Pizza Live. Yeah. I love that episode. We did it in Chicago because there's the whole thing about Chicago pizza. Is it really pizza? How yeah. do you eat pizza? How do Chicago you eat Chicago pizza, pizza? Versus Oregon pizza. No. No, the two New famous. York pizza. Wait, New York has pizza? <laughs> Yes. Oh, I gotta try that. That Sunday. was a that was a really good episode. I talked about eating pizza with a fork and knife. Really fun. You monster. Um, do you do that? No, Wait. my my dad does though. Well, I'm talk. I talked about that in the episode, okay. and okay. it is recommended because Chicago deep dish pizza is more of a casserole that you can eat it with a fork and knife. Any you should anyway. I also really liked Pregnancy Life. Uh huh. That's early days as well. Well, because. You were pregnant yeah. within nine months of starting yep. uh, Schmanners. Indeed. And I also love uh, how we did uh, we did a whole pregnancy live. And then I think it was, was it Candle Nights that year? It had to be. I think it that's the only one be. that's lined up. Because you didn't do a Candle Nights when you were pregnant with Dot. Right. Because you were so pregnant with Dot. So, uh, like, any second. Well, I yeah, because Dot pop. was born, like, the first week of January, and Candle right. Nights is, like, the last week of December. So Right. Um, and so I uh, I remember reading in the newspaper, the local newspaper, how enormously pregnant it I was literally said, quote, enormously pregnant. Like it was, like, a review of, like, a theater production you were exactly. putting on, and they were commenting on your pregnancy, like, fake belly or whatever. <laughs> she was like, she was enormously pregnant. Like, what and are you trying like, to convey there? I, could, I was like, this is bad. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't ever do that. You can state the fact that a person She's is pregnant. pregnant. But as soon as you add an adverb in there, adjective, adjective. Adge- adverb. Unless you were pregnancing <laughs> tremendously. Yes, there's and an adjective. I think that the one that is very dear to both our hearts is Emily Post. Yeah. Well, I mean, that to me, I think, I, I, I mentioned I, a biography and you mentioned a biography. Some of my favorites, have, and I mentioned Mr. Rogers too, because like without fail, you know, there's interesting stuff when we talk about like accessories or we talk about like, um, you know, traditional stuff or we talk mm-hmm. about historical stuff. But there's always something about a biography episode to me where there comes a moment where I like realize oh, wait, this person is way cooler and way more interesting than I thought. Or, like, there's more. There's so much more to know about this person yeah. than I know about this or person. Or just that, like, I thought I knew about this historical event and I had no idea that this person had such an impact on it. That kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. Like, I think it's the one, for all the etiquette stuff and, like, social stuff we talk about, I think it's the biography episodes is the one where I come away, like, a better educated person. Because we do it sometimes about people we, like, have heard of, like Mr. Rogers, right? But sometimes we'll talk about, like, Maria Talchi, for example, right? Right. Where it's just like, okay, great. That was not a household name to me that I knew off the top of my head. And now I feel like I have a deeper understanding about, like, this aspect of the arts. Exactly. Like, then I Of culture I had, in general. Right. And, and that, to me, I think is, 
not to go out on a weird limb here, but is kind of very indicative of what we go for on Schmanners, which is like, it is not a, we're not here to tell you what you're doing wrong. We're here to say like, you might not know this, right? Because the thing is, is like, I think it's too easy to fall into thinking about manners and etiquette as a way to judge other people, as opposed to like, do you feel like your best self? Right. And I think when I or these are the tools that can help you feel like your best. Exactly. That's what I mean. Like this is going to help you navigate these scenarios where you might feel uncomfortable or you might feel out of place and Mm -hmm. all these things. And I think I feel more like my best self when I learn about uh, people's lives and impact like that they had on my life that I had no idea like how much they had done for me. I think this kind of um, this feeling of camaraderie. Sure. uh, Really helps segue into the real topic of our show today. The secret real topic. You know what? Before we do, just for a smooth transition. But first, how about an important message? Ooh. This is a message from Gwilym. Gwilym wants you to search for cyberpunk noir on Kickstarter and consider contributing. This is what Gwilym has to say. Everybody listen. (laughs) Willem has something important to say. We're listening. Okay. I've written an original tabletop RPG set in an original cyberpunk universe and am raising money to publish it. The game is called Cyberpunk Noir. I'm already way into that. That's a Travis McElroy editorial. Uh, And features 28 weapons, 58 cybernetics, unique mechanics, and dozens of pages of lore. For $5, you gain access to the rulebook already written and compiling 11 years of work. Everything you need to play immediately. Money goes towards getting the rulebook professionally edited and illustrated. Ooh, that sounds so cool. And believe you me, uh, anyone who knows Adventure Zone, I've tried my hand at some original mechanics. It ain't easy. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Gwilm has done uh, 11 years of work on this and is ready to like have you play this game is incredible. It sounds nothing but thorough. Yes, indeed. If uh, not thorough. Nothing if not thorough is the, is the idiom. Sure. The, <laughs> the campaign for <laughs> Cyberpunk Noir ends March 20th, so do not wait. Go search Cyberpunk Noir, that's N-O-I-R, just in case anyone was unsure, on Kickstarter and contribute. Hey there, I'm Ellen Weatherford. And I'm Christian Weatherford. And we've got big feelings about animals that we just got to share. On Just the Zoo of Us, your new favorite animal review podcast, we're here to critically evaluate how each animal excels and how it doesn't, rating them out of 10 on their effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. Guest experts give you their takes informed by actual, real-life experiences studying and working with very cool animals like sharks, cheetahs, and sea turtles. It's a field trip to the zoo for your ears. So if you or your kids have ever wondered if a pigeon can count, why sloths move so slow, or how a spider sees the world, find out with us every Wednesday on Just the Zoo of Us in its natural habitat on MaximumFun.org. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is a podcast. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. That thing is not my daughter. 
And I want you to tell me there's a show where the hosts don't just report on French science and spirituality, but take part themselves. Well, there is, and it's Ono, Ross, and Carrie on Maximum Fun. This year, we actually became certified exorcists. So yes, Carrie and I can help your daughter. (laughs) Or we can just talk about it on the show. Ono, Ross, and Carrie on MaximumFun.org. Okay, we're talking about the advice column. Indeed. The birth of our genre, if you will. No, I actually was thinking about this. It it like I didn't think about it till literally today, but Schmanners is an internet advice column. Yes, it is. Right? But also, uh, I might extend that to be like it's almost like an internet uh like magazine a little bit because we have articles mm-hmm. about people. We yeah. have like what you didn't know about napkins. And then we also have sections where people write in and say, like, hey, how do you deal with this? And then we mm-hmm. answer their questions. Uh, listeners, if you are interested in learning more about this topic, you can go to an incredible Medium article written by Joanna Scutz called The Evolution of the Advice Column, where a lot of this information is located. Yeah. Or if you don't feel like reading, you can also just stay just here. Just stay here. But stay here and then also go, like, click on the link for that column so it gets, like, those page clicks. But if you're like me and you're like, oh, no, I can't read anymore. I'm too old and I get bored too quickly, you can just listen to us talk. Okay. So if you are unfamiliar with the form of the advice column, it is quite literally an adv- a column of a newspaper or magazine uh, written in question and answer format. So it'd um, be like if I wrote into Miss Schmanners sure. and I said, Miss Schmanners, um, I my best friend came over to my house and ate my mattress when I wasn't looking, but mm-hmm. I still love him very much, but I do want to address it with him. What's the best way to talk to your friend about the mattress they ate and perhaps getting reimbursement from it? And that is from... Uh, mattress munching menace in Milwaukee. <laughs> Perfect. Thank exactly. You. Exactly. Um, and so it can it can be anything from um, mattress troubles. I to, doubt that has uh, ever been. I maybe to romance, to general etiquette, help, to family issues. All sorts of things have been published at once at that at different times. And we've um, talked about this a little bit too. Yeah. We've talked about like Ms. Banners and, mm-hmm. and did Amy Vanderbilt have one? Um, you asked me too quick. I know. She's not on my list to talk about today. Okay. But we do have a biography in our feed, so. Correct. So here's here's the thing, right? Obviously, many, many, many more letters are received than are addressed in the column, sure. right? And if you send in a question to an advice column. She what? Amy, Amy was a columnist. I don't know if she had a question to answer one, but. Um, thank you for that. So it, it could take days or weeks between the time that the questioner submitted their issue and the publisher would give them a response. And you would have to hunt through the paper, obviously, to, to see they didn't send you personalized correspondence. I've also always wondered about that, of like, if you got a bunch of like questions that were all kind of on the same topic and worded differently, I wonder if they ever like amalgamated them. I mean, it's possible. And like said like, okay, we're going to generate a new question that basically sums up these 30 questions that we got so we can answer everybody's at once. Sure. It's possible. 
Um, Sounds like fraud to me. I trapped you. Call the police. <laughs> At this point, with the internet, there are there are lots of different places that you can go to for advice, like our podcast. Also, a lot of crowdsourced places. Right? Which is, I mean, like absolutely. Whether you use it or not, Reddit does this a lot. People on Twitter do this a lot. Um, I've used Twitter for this with like gardening stuff, where it's just like I cannot. I don't know the right wording for this question. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, by the way. Just a little side advice here. If you ever want to, like, ask a question on a social media site, it should be something that you don't know how to Google, right? Don't just say, like, what year was this person born? You can Google that. (laughs) But if you're like, I'm trying to find a solution, and here's kind of what's happening, and I don't really know why it's happening. Like, if you can't figure out the right way to word your question, that is a good time. And then also be ready to ignore 90% 90% of the stuff where it's just Certainly. like, did you try? <laughs> and you're like, no, I didn't. No, of course I didn't put peanut butter on my computer or whatever. Because if you do that, you're going to get a lot of responses, yeah. right? And here's the thing about the advice column specifically. It's probably not great for practical advice, right? Yeah. Because it, especially if you need an answer right now. Um, we, we've run into that with my brother and my brother. Yeah. And we're just like, I'm sitting in the drive-thru and this just happened. We're like, okay, you <laughs> said this a week ago. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I hope you're not still there. But the thing that makes an advice column different is it's about the readers, right? It's about voyeurism and moral theorizing. And unlike a self-help book or a therapy session, it's a public conversation, right? Do you think, can you see a kind of like DNA chain from those advice columns to like shows like Jerry Springer and stuff like that? Absolutely, I can. Yeah, where it's just like, here's my problem. I think that it's, I will say this, I think the big difference to me is the loss of anonymity is like when it, someone has written a fake name on their question and it's like, well, this could be from anyone versus like they're sitting here on stage and you're looking right at their faces. That's where it starts to get a little skeevo for me. Well, but it's supposed to be uh, it, it's supposed to be relatable. It's supposed to show you that your problem is present in a lot of other people's problems. And so it's not just about that one person on the show yeah it's about how you how they you know move through maybe it's trauma or maybe it's like um, move through their their question in a way that can also be helpful to you well i'll tell you the absolute genius of an advice column is the psychology of it is very interesting to me right where if it was just a like article telling you what to do Mm-hmm. it's easy for that to be a turnoff to a reader, right? Of like, I don't want to sit here and be lectured at. Right. But when you see someone else's question being answered, you can absorb the information without realizing that you're getting an instruction in an issue you might be having. Like, I see this a lot now, which is really great, where sometimes the questions are about parenting. And sometimes the, those parenting issues have to deal with children, like having a child who is LGBTQIA+, plus, sure. right? And it's a parent going, I don't know what to do with this, right? Why I'm so inexperienced and different, whatever. And the advice column is giving them advice on that. Whereas there might be a parent out there who, if the article was titled, like, how to be the best parent you can for children, you know, like, you would be like, I'm not going to, this is so preachy, and just turn the page. But reading someone else asking that question exactly yeah um so the birth 
of this medium is largely traced back to 1691. Get out of the I town. I know, right? I, I would have put a bajillion doll hairs that it would be something <laughs> like 1890. So this was a brand, it was in a brand new magazine called the Athenian Mercury. And it was basically a, a bunch of dudes, right? Um, who Can ran I, the magazine. I, I'm just thinking about, and I don't know exactly his lifespan, but more or less, the, the same, the, the, Advice column is as old as like Shakespeare plays. Yeah, that's it's tw- it's twisted my noodle. It's it's braiding my brain all up. <laughs> I'm like, I never would have guessed that. Never would have guessed that in a million years. So this group of of publishers and writers and contributors to this magazine were ready to answer basically anything. People wrote in about questions about the shape of animal poop and the afterlife of the soul. They wanted to know, you know, abstract philosophy like what is time? And, you know, there was just there was such a a depth of questions. You know what this reminds me of? What? That one scene in Parks and Rec where uh, Ron goes on the the Joan show and she like passes out and then he's just answering everybody's questions that they call in about everything. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so, so this quote, Athenian society, right, which is what uh, the publisher, James Dutton, how he nicknamed his columnist. Very fancy. Was mm, not exactly a highly qualified group of brilliant well, individuals. Well, sure. What are they going to do? You can't fact check that in 1690. If you ask me what animal poop looks like, you, it's like you clearly don't know, so whatever. It's a weird <laughs> swirl with a happy face in the middle. Now, buy a paper. It was... Uh, what are you going to do, Google it? No. It was himself, his two brothers-in-law, and an unnamed man who may or may not have been a doctor. There you go. <laughs> but to be fair, in 1691, everyone may or may not have been a doctor. <laughs> That's true. I mean, just day to day, it depends on how you're feeling, I guess. Um, and so the the paper itself wasn't anonymous, but uh, the they chose to keep the the writers, the the people who uh, asked questions, chose to keep them anonymous. So this is why because of all their bad advice. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is why it's that is the form of the advice column today. You were talking about that earlier, mattress. Muncher in mattress munching menace in Milwaukee. Yes, I believe, exactly, that. exactly. Came up with that on the spot. Thank you very much. Um, and they they dabbled in making a uh, quote female centric version. You know, double your profits. Yeah, if you can sell so to they both just, men and women. So they just like published it on pink paper. What were they doing? <laughs> and then like charged twenty cents more. Uh, no, I. I I think that what happened was at the turn of the eighteenth century. London had an emerging press culture that was so, so, so dramatic. It was, quote, unscrupulous, opinionated, and locked in competition for cash and eyeballs. I'm so glad that it's different nowadays, that our Mm -hmm. journalism Mm -hmm. is that Mm -hmm. everything is so fact-checked. Okay, go on. Uh, So... The success of this original magazine, The Athenians, inspired a wide array of parodies and copycats. A notable one in 1704 was a public affairs journal entitled A Review of the F- Affairs of France. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Uh, and there was a lighter section, a fictional society called The Scandalous Club, uh, 
which was dedicated to answering the public's questions. And at this point, 40 to 50 letters a week arrived for the advice on this fictional club, which is which is quite a lot. Yeah. And it was it was so popular. They couldn't keep up with the printing. They had to uh, take it into its own separate paper entitled The Little Review. And it spawned numerous upon numerous upon numerous places where you could go to find the same thing. It it may have come from masculine beginnings, you know, all the four dudes in the room mm-hmm. answering questions they know nothing about. One of which may or may not have been a doctor. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but eventually it evolved into something more traditionally feminine, love and relationships specifically. Well, so this actually, made, I was thinking about this as you were talking about the original one, right, where they were covering all these topics, mm-hmm. where I'm willing to bet that it has something to do with as one, literacy increased, mm-hmm. and reference materials, you know, encyclopedias, dictionaries, and everything became more commonplace. You could look up specific things. But if you had a nuanced question, right. like interpersonal relationships, which is like, yes, but this factor is at play, and this factor is at play, and this, once again, like I said, that, like, I don't know what to how to Google this, right? There's a very specific and nuanced question Mm-hmm. You need a person to answer that. So exactly. it makes complete sense why relationship, be it, you know, romantic or friendship or partner, like business or whatever, would begin to dominate advice columns. And this is why we have this shift into these personas that are classically women tropes, right? So, um, you know, you mentioned uh Dear Abby, did yeah. you mention Dear Abby earlier? I'm sure, I did. I'm sure you did. Uh, Dear Abby, uh, Ann Elk Landers, Abby, Miss Abby. Manners, all of these different things, um, because relationship advice, whether romantic or otherwise, was traditionally women's emotional labor, right? Yeah, and and it also, man, is one of those things that, like, on into nowadays, there's something about like being taught that it is easier for a man to ask advice from a woman like and a lot of romantic comedies right like if if you're going to have that moment where the guy finally is like i don't know what to do he's talking to a female character a female best friend or the best a female best friend of the love interest or right where the dudes are like i don't know man i'm just here to play (laughs) basketball with you and uh, yeah it's kind of weird for us to talk about this relationship stuff but uh, we'll give it a shot beers Yeah. Um, so another another really famous one is Beatrix Fairfax. Great name. Um, is that a real person? It was a pseudonym ah. of a New York Evening Journal writer, Marie Manning. Okay. She debuted her advice to the lovelorn, it was called, on July 20th, 1898, to immediate success. The newspaper was swamped with so many letters that... At one point, they were contacted by the U.S. Postal Service with an ultimatum. There were too many letters addressed to Miss Fairfax, and they refused to deliver all of them because it would take up too much of their space and their time. So the journal had to go and retrieve the letters in person. Oh, wow. I I wonder if that's still a move that, like, the post office could do today, like— I'm not going to bring... Do you know how big this package is? Come here and get it. <laughs> well, at this at this point in time, I believe all things can be had for a price. Yeah, this was also probably a time, sadly, where the post office was probably a little more 
integral than it is now. Mm -hmm. And like they could probably get away with that move a lot more now than if like somebody now is like, no, no, I'm not coming to get it. I'm like, (laughs) please, no. Next time we'll just send it with a different service. Oh, man. Another one we you have might, stamps. Sorry, go on. Another one you might recognize is Dorothy Dix. Mm-hmm. Uh, and during the 1930s, her World War II column appeared in 273 newspapers nationwide and reached an estimated 60 million readers. That is a that lot of people. That seems unfathomable for the time. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of people. So, uh, Everybody had their own kind of slant on their advice, some more conservative than others. And here's the thing, though, about Dorothy Dix. Although she may have been a little more conservative than the aforementioned Miss Fairfax, um, she was pragmatic and staunchly defensive of the women who wrote to her, which takes another shift, right? So we're talking about the shift from four guys, one of which may or may not have been a doctor. No one can say for sure. <laughs> to a single journalist, uh, usually either a female uh, persona or a actual female writer, um, to a person who is in defense of kind of like the narrow box that females were placed in at the time. I mean, and it must have been, you know, uh, you got to think about the advice that was being asked for and given early days, there was probably a lot of like how to, my husband isn't happy. How can I make him happier? Because Mm -hmm. I can guarantee you without having to look it up, even if the advice givers and writers of the columns were women, the bosses were dudes that they still had to like get approval from. And there was a, probably a lot of that stuff of like, yeah, give them advice on, how to be a better broad or whatever. <laughs> there was some of that. Oh, yeah. Um, here's the next step, the next step to the modern advice column. Uh, the readers of the newspapers switched. So it used to be men who would read the papers because men were generally more educated, more outgoing, more, quote, of the world, right? Uh, if there was something in the home after the, uh, you know, after World War II, if there was something in the home that needed buying, the women were the one you had to convince to buy it, mm. right? So advertising hu- takes a huge, huge step towards female purchasing power and thus the skewing of the newspaper to the female sensibility of the time. I'm using a lot of air quotes. Yeah. And so everything from soap to clothing to appliances were catering directly to the female audience. And these advice columns were a really great way to draw the female audience in to read your paper and look at all of the adverts. Sure, 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 sure. That and also all the great Marmaduke jokes. Oh, so you many come to Marmadukes. The, you go, oh, see, here's the thing. He thinks he's people. He think he sits in the chair and you're like, Marmaduke, that's not a chair for dogs. That's a chair for your owner. Oh, Marmaduke. So soon after Dorothy Dix came at uh, Dear Ann Landers in 1943. Can I just say it makes me really sad to think that someday, maybe uh, already past is this day when uh, I can make that Marmaduke thinks these people joke. And like there will be 18 year olds who are like, I don't know. What that I is. don't know what that is. I mean, it's you think probably that's now? pretty close. Oh, man. Yeah, that's true. Oh, boy. Wait until there's a movie remake. There was. Wasn't there? There was with no. Owen Wilson. No, wasn't that? Was that Owen Wilson? Yeah. 
Owen Wilson is required to be in most talking animal movies. <laughs> I feel like, okay, there was a, not too long ago, there was a Garfield remake that's sure, based sure. on a comic. There was Scooby-Doo, uh, not just recently. Oh, no, maybe there's like a Scooby-Doo. No, it's Owen, Will- Owen Wilson was Marmaduke. <laughs> okay, I back on topic, please. Okay. Then there was Dear Abby in 1956. Then there and was- And Pace and Judy oh. Greer. Sorry, go ahead. Okay. I mean, even Emily Post had kind of a write-in question and answer style of, at, at some point. So there were lots, lots of places that you could go and find that kind of, you know, answer. I keep saying- voyeurism but it i mean but it, i mean it is right it really because it's is. somebody it's a public i don't, I don't want to say therapy counseling session but it kind of is like that right where someone's saying hey this is the problem i'm having mm-hmm. and it, especially the thing about advice and these columns right is like so much of it is i don't have someone in my private life that i can ask this to right. so i'm going to take this private question and publicly ask it. To someone who hopefully responds, you know, without those trappings of intimacy, right? Um, it's kind of freeing, exactly like where you can get support and encouragement. I mean, and, or even you know, like I, practical step by step advice. I said counseling, but man, it ain't that far off, is it? Where it's just like, I'm having this issue. I don't know how to deal with it. And I don't have anyone I can talk to. Mm-hmm. Now, don't, it's the least direct form of counseling I think I can think of. Right. But I think at a time where it was a lot harder to convince someone to talk to somebody about their problems, to have a thing that was so publicly accepted mm-hmm. as a way to ask, like, to say, I'm having a problem was actually probably very beneficial for, like, people's mental health as much as it could be you know i would i would like to leave our listeners with um no don't leave them come uh, with us with a a a condensed version of a question submitted to uh dear abby which i think that, that everyone can get behind someone signed their letter up in arms And the letter itself is a little painful, but basically, uh, a woman writes in complaining that her new neighbors across the street are presumably two gay men. She complains about every single thing that they're doing, right? That they have all sorts of strange-looking company, that they keep their shades drawn so they must be up to no good, and that she even goes so far as to tell Dear Abby that she's thought about calling the police on these men for no reason, right, other than her own prejudice. The letter ends with, Abby, these weirdos are wrecking our property values. How can we improve the quality of this once respectable neighborhood? And Abby's entire verbatim response is this, Dear Up, you could move. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here in our internet advice column. Um, I got some good advice for everybody. Oh, you do? Yeah, do go to macroymerge.com and see all the cool stuff there, and it will make you happy. Uh, and that's just the, some great advice. Uh, the pin of the month is everybody has a knife. It's one of the weird rules we made up. 
in Adventure Zone Ether C, and by purchasing that pin, uh, it benefits the Center for Reproductive Rights. You also can find the Guppies Want Me, Blank Sharks Fear Me sticker there, which is another fun one from the Adventure Zone. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitch, if that's a thing any of you are into, uh, twitch.tv slash the Travis McRoy. I'm not I sometimes it. tune in just for the fish tank view. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I do have a little fish cam on there um, that I think you'll enjoy. It's a very chill time, even though I've been playing Fortnite. Don't let that scare you away. <laughs> um, also, you can check out all the other Macroy shows at macroy.family. Check out all the Max Fun shows. Maximumfun.org is our podcast home. So go to maximumfun.org. It's right there in the name and check those out. What else, Teresa? We always thank Brent Brentofloss Black for writing our theme music, which is available as a ringtone where those are found. We also thank Kayla M. Wassel for our Twitter thumbnail art. That's at SchmannersCast. That's where we get all of our listeners submitted questions for topics when our topics call for that. Um, also, also, thank you to Bruja Betty Pennant Photography for our fan-run Facebook group cover picture. Uh, it's called Schmanners Fanners. If you love to give and get excellent advice from other fans, go ahead and follow that group. Please continue to submit topics and idioms and say hello to our dear researcher, Alex. Thank you, Alex, for all of your wonderful help. She hasn't been with us all six years, but feels like family nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, SchmannersCast at gmail.com. Speaking uh, of, thank you, Rachel, yes. our editor. We wouldn't be able to make the show without you. And I just had an idea. Uh, as a, If you're looking to give us a birthday present for the sixth year of Schmanners, maybe tweet at SchmannersCast what your favorite episode is, why you liked it, that kind of thing. Maybe like share the link to it on your Twitter and tell people to go check it out. Uh, that would be super cool and a really great present. You don't even have to wrap it. Speaking of wrapping up, that's going to do it for us. Join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.